Purpuswara, Ideas for Malaysia by the Hub Movement, an organization founded to provide a platform for aspiring young Malaysians to exchange ideas on a variety of topics that contribute to building Malaysia. I'm Idris, your host for this month's podcast. We have Might, the Malaysian Industry Government Group for High Technology. Might, as an independent non-profit technology think tank under the purview of the Prime Minister's Department, has been tasked to be forward-looking, utilizing foresight, futures, to help drive the advancement of high technology competency and capacity in Malaysia. Joining me are several members of the core team at Might, who without their work, none of this would be possible. So why don't we just go around and just introduce ourselves really quick to our audience today. Yes, after all, today we are going to be talking about foresight and policy, the role it plays and how important it is. Hi everyone, my name is Shu Ying. Um, on paper, many people call me Dr. Tan, but as a youth, I think that's, uh, um, that's just our qualification. So I prefer to be called shooing and simply because it's all about outreach, you know, reaching out foresight, you know, it's the best part about talking about the futures is when you reach out to young minds and say, oh, this is what the future could be. And then you see that light bulb moment in them and that's just so interesting. So that's what it means for foresight for me, you know. Hi, my name is Muhammad Nur Azami. I'm a senior principal analyst at, at my foresight. My part is to actually support and lead uh, the team into uh, applying foresight for decision making and policy making. Hi, I'm Natra and I'm principal analyst in my foresight. All right, wonderful. So just to kick things off, I just want to ask everyone here, what is the field of foresight and futures planning to all of you? Okay, um, foresight is uh, basically based on an, uh, how we perform anticipation about the future. Uh, it's not a prediction, it's not a forecast, because uh, the things that we are uh, asking questions about the future is not what will happen that will actually lead to the prediction. Uh, actually, we're asking what could happen that assume multiple scenarios that could possibly or possibly happening in the future. And uh, we're not assuming uh, a linear uh, progression like what normally we do in the forecasting, but we're assuming different scenarios that actually could possibly lead from now towards the future. Yep, I think echoing what uh, Azami has mentioned just now is we are not um, soothsayers, we don't do seances, we don't have a magic ball eight and ask what is the future, we don't have... Um, blurred drinking rituals or everything like that. We are not, or what you say in Malaysia, tukang tilet. We actually have a proper methodology and tools that will help us to as um, accurately as possible give you various possible futures. Because we're not trying to say that there's only one certain future. That would be, I would say, as you know, um, that is what you call prediction. We tell you different, different futures and we are prepared for all of these futures. And that what that's what foresight really means to us, is preparing for everything. That's a very good way of describing futures and foresight for sure. To me, foresight is more about making sense about all of the information that we have today for our decision for tomorrow. It's the action for tomorrow is always what you do today. And yes, you only can see the consequences, the impact by doing the, the right decision today. Right, that's fair. Thank you very much for that, Nat. So now when you're talking about the idea of making the right decisions today, I want to ask you as well, what role do you all believe foresight plays in helping Malaysia's policy? I mean, after all, as a very niche field, 
it's not something you hear often. It's not something that's out there in the mainstream. Nobody really gets a chance, especially amongst Malaysian youth, to see how the government is looking towards its future, especially since it's not newsworthy often. And second question, do you believe it can help impact nation building in a positive way? Right. Um, one of the, our uh, pillar of uh, strategic pillar for the My Foresight is actually mainstreaming foresight in the decision making. Uh, second pillar is actually uh, to expand this as a capacity building for all uh, who are involved in the strategic uh, decision making and also policy making. Using foresight, basically, all this while, uh, the discussion is about issue of today. And we want to actually bring them further thinking about what could happen in the future based on understanding of today information about the trends, about the weak signals, what would be the uh, wild cards. These are, are, are terms, uh, terminologies that we use in the foresight studies. And um, when you talk about trends, we need to actually understand that trends move a certain ways that people actually understand this and not taking into account the, the, the possible impact, cause and effect out of this changing direction. So uh, the policy is not reactive, more uh, proactive in a way when you apply in foresight. And also it's a form of communication in, in a way that everybody involved, the stakeholders, whole certain piece of information about the future that comes together and, and build up the, the, the whole uh, comprehensive pictures of the future. I think for me, the easiest way for me to understand how foresight works in government, nation building, things like this, it, it helps you understand three things. Firstly, where are we now? Okay, That's the present. That's what we call insights. And then where do you want to go? Or where, where do you want to be? That's your aspirations, your future, your best case scenario, your worst case scenarios. Those are the things that actually make you think out of the box. Because we always think about what's rosy, what's the beautiful design scenario, but we never prepare for what's the worst case scenario or what could be, like today, business unusual. You know, Who would have expected that a pandemic would have happened? Who would have expected that a trade war would happen? Or who would have even expected at that point in time that Trump would actually win? So these are some of those weak signals that we call that actually happened and had a very big impact. And the third part of force, uh, what foresight enables nation building is it gives you an idea of how do we get there, the strategies to achieve these scenarios that you, are, you desire and to know when you have derailed from that scenarios. And this is something that many, um, I would say, many people don't have the luxury to actually think out of the box. They only see the issues of today or the, what we call as symptoms sometimes, not even the systemic issues because what they see at the top could be just the iceberg. What is underneath at the, um, at the systemic issue is not really addressed. So with foresight, you are able to see the whole iceberg in, in, in general, actually. All right, that's a very interesting way of expressing thoughts about futures and looking beneath the tip of the iceberg. So I want to know everyone's opinion. How well is the Malaysian government doing that? How well are we looking at what's beneath the tip of the iceberg? Is it just might who's looking at foresight or are there other parts and agencies which are looking at these sort of things? 
I mean, there are. Um, we have various methodologies. You know, foresight is not just one way of strategic thinking. You know, um, there are also a lot of, um, I would say, uh, strategic thinking is one method. You know, there, you have also a lot of management tools out there to help you think about all this. But um, what we give in foresight is different futures, like I said earlier, and that helps you come up with the scenarios, and that helps you to dig into the iceberg to unearth what you say, call it, you know, whether it's causal layer analysis, which is a very academic tool to call it. Um, but at, at what we do when we engage our stakeholders is we give them a very simplified my foresight or might methodology to help them walk through this workshop. And many of our participants, they like the way that we engage with them in, in these workshops because they feel it's guided. They feel they are, they are able to explore all these futures together with us. And we paint that picture for them already. It's not something that um, is completely strange. It's something quite familiar. For example, if you're walking with you through a um, scenario of industry development in the future, we already paint for you what possible things will happen. We're painting if what happens if there's a trade war. You know, if China and US are still at it, will Malaysia be at advantageous position? or a disadvantageous position. And we start prodding you and asking how that is. And that helps because that will then give you an idea of your ownership towards that scenario. When you feel that scenario, you're able to come up with strategies for that scenario. Uh, Jimmy wants to add to this. Okay, in the government uh, machineries, uh, foresight is quite new. And um, the things that, that's why uh, our purpose is to mainstream into the government. This started with the National Technology Foresight, uh, where very much uh, technology-centric. A signed advisor to the Prime Minister actually uh, stated that foresight is, is huge in terms of applications, not limited to the technology per se, but also can apply for the social purposes, for environments and others. So um, that actually uh, led us to collaboration with the Public Service Department, to actually mainstream together with them in terms of try to develop a module for the public service training that actually uh, currently provided by Intan and all the official of uh, government will actually go there to learn it instead of us going around and, and uh, teach the, the, the foresight methodology. And from there, uh, we also uh, make a case for a study entitled The Future of Public Service beyond 2020, basically try to explore what would be the um, element that shape the future of public service, especially perspective of technology, um, uh, social, demographic, and so on. So that actually sparked the interest among the ministries, agencies, to actually embrace foresight part of their approach in making the strategic planning, um, road mapping, blueprints, and others. All right, so safe to say that every all the ministries now are starting to have one eye towards the horizon then. All right, that's great to hear. Now, in that, I'd like to move on to our next question. I mean, speaking about recent events, I'd like to discuss the COVID pandemic of everyone. So, I mean, like, how, was everyone, how were all you affected? And most importantly, what were some trends, risks, and opportunities that might saw which weren't covered in mainstream media, or you think every, a lot of other people might have overlooked from international to local? Okay, uh, previously we involved a lot in the industry development, 
plan. So the thing is that we see the fourth industrial revolution actually disrupt the, the whole, uh, uh, the way we're doing things. Uh, we're doing business, uh, providing the products, relationship with the customers. And fourth industrial revolution basically uh, comes with the message that current way of doing things is no longer uh, valid and relevant. The needs to actually change and change some business models, uh, the way people skills and so on. Now, the things that digitalization, automation have been a critical element in that sense. Now, when COVID impact us, basically the same message against to the people in the industry saying that you no longer uh, valid or irrelevant, uh, relevant to actually do what you do now. You need to change. So that's why uh, I said to the many of uh, us saying that uh, people do not change when they see the light. They change because they feel the heat. So this is uh, what we describe uh, now uh, happening. Now, in COVID, post-COVID uh, impact, digitalization has become accelerated. People who are doing, uh, selling uh, nasi lemak and uh, all those uh, uh, micro enterprise now moving towards the digital platforms for, for enable them to make their business works. And that's accelerated digitalization in a way. And also um, trends also digitalization, seeing that people need to actually communicate through various uh, digital platforms for meetings and so on. Because of three Cs, the, the three Cs uh, constraints of COVID. And we see that trends also happened uh, in digital divide. Because more information, opportunities in the future created virtual, online, rather than physical. So those people who, for example, that live in Sabah and Sarawak will actually have an impact in terms of digital divide. So the government need to actually look into this and bridging the gaps of digital divide, probably internet basic assessment, uh, basic rights need to actually introduce for people to actually uh, tap on the ideas rural, uh, bridging the gap between urban and rural uh, disparity and so on. So this among the, the, the trends that actually see very glaring in the post-COVID. Okay, so it's safe to say that if we, if we, as Malaysia, do not step up and provide more of our people better access to Wi-Fi so that some folks don't have to go in a tree to submit their online assignments, like that girl in Sabah, a lot of people are going to miss out otherwise. So just as a ballpark figure, how much do you think it's going to cost to do that? And who do you think will have to take the lead on that sort of initiative? Can we expect the same from the public sector or will it be more private-driven? So recently, um, we've been privileged to actually um, be part of the digital economy blueprint, the development of it. Um, so they've invited us as a, as a stakeholder participant. And the numbers that we've seen is for fixed broadband in the house means your, your Unify, your TM, your, your Time, and .com and everything else. It's about 38% of households. So it's quite a low number. But um, in terms of mobile data penetration, it's very high. It's about 120 something percent. But based on unique users, it's about 70%. Means out of 10 Malaysians, seven are actually connected to the internet using a mobile. So considering that now how most of us are actually moving towards from laptops to actually mobile devices, a very cheap entry point to um, 
access for internet could be a mobile device. So, you know, the government could consider this as a trend of digitalization, because digitalization is something that is, um, I would say, quite not not very new, but it's it's something that has to happen now, um, not just in organizations, but also within each person. You want to go access to government, you have to use the internet now. You know, you don't have to go through, you could queue up, take your number, wait for three hours, and then it's your turn. Now, a lot of the facilities are actually available online. You don't even have to walk in the post office to pay your bills, you can actually pay it online. That's how easy it is. But that is when the biggest risk of digital divide happens, as Mr. Azami has just mentioned earlier. And for me, digital divide is something very, very true to my heart because I really feel that if you don't have internet at this day and age, you really lose out on a lot of things. You can learn so much things on YouTube. You can learn anything and everything, good or bad. You know? um, and I think most of your listeners here all have internets, but think about the people who... You know, when we talk about people who have no access to food, no access to water, now no access to internet is actually a basic right. They should consider something like this. For government to give a, a full-scale um, access of internet as a basic right to all its citizens, like education, how it's giving free education, that is something I think governments really have to think about today. Uh, it's no longer something that, oh, it's nice to have. It's a need to have. It will involve a lot of capital, because you're talking about infrastructure development. No one, I think um, Alphabet, Google's parent company, was trying to build um, helium balloons that could actually trans transmit um, Wi-Fi at mountainous areas, so you, know, you reduce the rate. But these are, these are still technology that is not at the commercial level yet. So you know, at this point in time, what's the cheapest way? I think it's honestly getting a phone to everybody, getting mobile data onto that, and encouraging more competition um, to actually access this infrastructure. Um, I think public needs to step up also now. Don't expect just government to lay down the lines and then you earn the, reap the benefits. That's how I see it. You know. Just to add, um, digital divide, not only the infra perspective, but also the knowledge, the knowledge uh, skill of people to actually perform the IT ICT-related uh, activities. So uh, this include the skill of people uh, using the, those digital platforms, uh, laptop, uh, handphones, and so on. And together with that, uh, apps and, and, and all those things. And uh, we're thinking about future of, of uh, workforce. Uh, it's not that uh, the future of works is not where you're situated, but what you have with you. So it's quite mobile in, in a way, uh, require uh, people to master all those uh, um, uh, skills of uh, IT skills. And uh, like um, I quote uh, Microsoft uh, CEO saying, said that uh, nowadays uh, every company is a software company. So uh, like it or not, uh, anything that being um, performs uh, either me mechanical will actually have to converge with the IT. So this is uh, something that a requirement of the future. Thank you very much for that very informative speech. So one more thing I want to ask before we wrap things up really quick. Now, speaking of pressing needs or pressing issues, going back to the idea of the COVID pandemic, some people in the community, some scientists 
describe the COVID pandemic as what is referred to as a black elephant in foresight and futures terminology. Now, that is something you have people at the fringes. So, for example, scientists, for example, talking about it, but yet you don't have governments doing anything. And then when this happens, say, for example, you know, the entire world gets hit by a virus. Everyone's like, oh, no, we this was unexpected. But in reality, it's not. This was something that we could have seen coming. Now, in your opinion, as the authority on foresight in Malaysia, do you think that our government was prepared? Were we, to use future, to use terminology, were we anticipating such a pandemic? And were we preparing for such a pandemic properly? I think um, one example I actually put is there's a global pandemic preparedness index. Um, it's available in our, our recent magazine. Um, you can access it at www.myforesight.my. All right, Malaysia actually ranks 16th in the responsiveness agility category and second, actually, in terms of emergency response operations indicators. So we're actually prepared for things like this. And when people they always think that, no, Malaysia is very um, reactive. But when it comes to health um, security, Malaysia is actually quite prepared in a lot of things. I think we've been learning through our lessons from the Nipah virus, you know, with SARS, although we weren't so badly hit, but... Nipah was the, I would say, the starting point, um, the light bulb moment when we had to do something about our health security, and we did that very well. Um, we were very decisive, our government, in terms of the fact that we were willing to close down our economies, we were willing to close down the borders. That was a very decisive act that we were willing to do. Um, yes, in between, we had um, certain, um, I would say, certain distractions, um, but we were handling it at at many points, not just at the political front, but also at the health um, health awareness, getting communities, you know, Malaysians to actually realize that this is a pandemic, this is real, um, and you have to do something about it, even you can't see it. And then also at the same time, we were also at the international front, you know, participating in the solidarity um, tests. Um, we're also working out with WHO on this, and all these are things that. Um, I think you and I, or maybe just the layman, might not be able to see it that is happening at the back. But all these are the things that is making Malaysia quite prepared on all this. Well, uh, although we considered uh, prepared because of we experiencing uh, a certain uh, type of virus previously, this time around, uh, the pandemic impact is at a global scale, which is um, because previously, uh, compared to now, we are more highly connected than before uh, in terms of uh, from industry perspective the supply chains uh, the globalization happening at rapid uh, scale um, interconnectedness and so on that actually uh, have a have much more degree of impact than before so although uh, is is we're talking about resiliencies nowadays uh, how fast we rebound back to our um, stable state before we get uh, uh, disrupted much more. So these are uh, things that help us to actually learn the lessons along the way uh, in terms of resiliency, in terms of self-sufficiency, in a way that we learn the disruptiveness of, of a supply chain, especially uh, things that we uh, have uh, to actually live with, uh, food, energy, water, 
medical supplies. These are critical things that that uh, we learned. We need to have strengthening much further our our uh, connectedness, our supply chain, our networks. And what do you think must be done for other ministries to be prepared for other certain situations just like this? What do you think are the steps we need so that other ministries can be prepared for this? Like, for example, internal affairs, ministry of defense. What do they need to be prepared for future circumstances? I mean, in this case, it's very clear. We've learned from experience, have experienced two outbreaks of different viruses ourselves. I think, because you mentioned ministry of defense, right? Um, actually... Foresight actually stems a lot from defense strategies. It's all about them thinking about what if people attacked us. And that was all the scenarios that could have happened. So um, if I'm not mistaken, MINDEF themselves, they have this um, foresight or strategic thinking people um, behind the scenes. They are already preparing all these what-if scenarios that um, you know, what happens if the South China Sea gets attacked, what happens if Malaysia is attacked from this front or a, a probably a, a digital front, things like this. I believe all these are there. It's just that we, the layman, because this is a top security, national security issue, so we're not, of course, accessible to all these sort of things, but there is, it's already there. Um, in terms of other ministries, uh, um, we always say that what's important is that every public um, or civil service, they need to have a foresight mindset. They need to have a what if. What if this happens? Or they are able to identify signposts that we are heading to a certain future. We always say in foresight that signposts are very important in, in future thinking. It shows which future you're heading to. Because we, I did mention earlier that um, it shows you, uh, foresight gives you dif um, pos different possible futures. So if you're looking at future A, um, there are signposts leading to it. I give you a very simple analogy. If you're driving to Penang, you have to pass through Ipoh. You know, you see the signboard to Ipoh, then you know you're on that, that path or that future which is the end goal is Penang. But if you're driving um, to Penang, but you see a signboard saying you're in Moa, that's when you know you're heading to a different future. And that's when you need to fix, realign yourself, put yourself back onto the path to ensure you're going to that future that you want. So those are the things that I think will be needed in all um, public servants to actually realize what is the future that we want and what are the signs that shows that we're going there. Definitely, uh, some of countries, they actually have on their own each ministries, especially the strategic uh, division, to actually have a foresight uh, uh, team and skill and knowledge. Because, uh, for example, like uh, down south, uh, Singapore, uh, they have quite a number of ministries already uh, having their own unit of foresight. So that shows that the importance of, of foresight, especially... Uh, we are navigating our, our time, uh, I mean, our futures in the VUCA world, uh, volatile, uncertain, uncertain um, complex and ambiguity uh, world. So a part of the COVID pandemic risk, there's a lots of global risk out there waiting to actually come and, and make a disruptions. And uh, we expect, uh, of course, uh, there is, a, for example, like a cyber threats. If we go towards this 5Gs, we are going to be more connected than before. And uh, disruptiveness can actually happen at the global scale. If the cyber attack happens, um, we need to actually strengthen uh, our, our way of, of, of how we're going to handle this uh, disruption.
and uh, there's a lots of this uh, risk. Uh, we have a natural uh, disasters and so on. So the needs to actually make a simulation of a scenario application of foresight would actually inform us the grey area, unknown unknown, that we yet to discover. And this is can be achieved through uh, practicing foresight. Alrighty, last thing. I mean, I, I mean, from what you've described, I can't help but feel like there is something here that the layman can learn, that the average per Malaysian youth can learn about foresight mindset, or at least being prepared for those futures. And I just want to go around really quick, just as a final note before we wrap this up. What do you think about that? Do you think that there is room to adapt the foresight mindset into one's lifestyle? In my foresight, we do have this program called uh, Foresight Club, where we work with the uh, UTHM, uh, the Business Management School, uh, whereby we have this engagement uh, with the final year student. Through Foresight Club, uh, the selected students from the final year able to undergo the uh, undertake the final year project with Foresight topic. So uh, through this uh, two semester of uh, supervision, they will have uh, lecturers from their schools uh, for the technology perspective and from uh, my foresight as a co-supervisor in terms of the methodology and uh, foresight perspective. Uh, until now, we already have uh, six, six years uh, of the uh, project and we, some of the content is with us and we have uh, produced it in our previous uh, magazine as well. It's how we encourage them to anticipate, to include uh, foresight methodology in their research, not only to think about the uh, current technology but also the future technology. So uh, for the final project, they have the experience to do a practical of uh, our uh, horizon scanning tools, uh, to use the scenario planning and a few another tools in their research. So I think at a, at a organizational front, that's what my foresight is working on for an outreach program like this. But I think for the youths in Malaysia or anywhere else, um, actually foresight is very applicable to your everyday life. It's something that you actually use without even realizing. When you wake up in the morning and you think about, okay, so what I need to do today, but what happens if, for example, you want to go wash your clothes today and then you suddenly happen, um, it suddenly rains. So what you need to do next? So that's a very short-term foresight, you could say. But foresight, when we expand it to anything that's above 5 to 10 years, you ask yourself, what's your career development? How are you going to, um, what, what will happen if, for example, you, um, the business that you start up is actually um, went bankrupt in the next two years. What will you do next? You know, these are those contingency plans that you're already preparing for, and that's all about foresighting. You know, um, currently what I'm doing is I'm actually mentoring a, a, a final year student um, through our alumni, and because we, I, I'm so used to with this, my for, this foresight techniques, I'm actually giving him scenario planning because he can't decide whether um, he wants to go into engineering route or does he want to go into policy advice route. I said, why don't you come up scenarios with those routes and see for yourself, you know, put yourself in those shoes for a day and see what exactly excites you about each scenario and then decide would you accept those type of scenarios, even the worst case scenario and the best case scenario in each. That's how you could apply in your everyday life.
a bit of, um, I mean, application of foresight uh, for, for what user can benefit in terms of part of, of um, mastering a new branch of, of knowledge about the futures. Um, they can actually uh, use this to plan uh, their career, they anticipate the, the, the wish routes that decision-making in, in their life and uh, about the cause and effects and um, understanding uh, anything that we encounter uh, in any information about news happening nowadays, uh, information be fit to us and you can actually uh, try to um, use foresight to actually uh, see and pictures what would be the consequences out of this and what matters to me and others and also uh, use foresight as a means to actually thinking new ideas, innovation, you know. Nowadays, uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, new entrepreneurs, young age entrepreneurs, startups that create new things, uh, great things that become uh, one day a billionaire uh, uh, company. Actually start with the thinking about the futures and how to solve people's problems. All right. Thank you very much for your insight, everyone. And I think that's where we'll call it for this podcast. If anyone's, if you, if you, our listeners, are interested in hearing more about Foresight, please let us know, and we'll catch you next month. This has been Idris Azim for Baswara by the Hub Movement, signing off, and we'll see you next month. Hub Movement, aiming to build a better Malaysia. Follow MLUK as well as the Hub Movement on Facebook right now. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to leave a like and follow us on Anchor as well as Spotify. We release a monthly update with tons of interesting new topics. So stay tuned. See you on our next episode.